Mark, thank you for being here, buddy. Um, I think we'll kick straight into how did you meet Lou and become a part of Westside? Mm. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. Last yeah. time I had something this big and black in front of my <laughs> mouth like this, I was about to get 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, I started uh, lifting at Black's Health World up in Cleveland and did a first powerlifting me. I trained with AJ, Angelo, Berenelli, who was a great powerlifter, John Florio, Haas, John Black. And I did a first powerlifting meet over at York Barbell. And this was like 98. Okay. And ran into Lou at that meet. And he said, hey, you got potential. Why don't you come on down and squat? Coming down on a Friday. And so I came down and... I saw how strong everyone was and the com- camaraderie, and I'm here like, oh, this is awesome. And then he said, well, well, you coming back or what? And then so long story short, I'd drive down from Cleveland two to three times a week from then. Who was that in the group when you first came in? Chuck, Louie, Dave Tate, Joe McCoy, Kenny Patterson. Um, Mike Ruggiero, Rob Fuzner, and Danny Blankenship. That was just in the morning crew. Yeah. And you trained in the morning? I trained in the morning. Uh, came down, woke up at five, drove down, met Louie for breakfast and the guys for breakfast. And we'd go over and train. What was that atmosphere like? At the time, it's, it's... Nothing that you can really compare mm-hmm. now. It was just because now everyone has phones out to video and all that. And it was nothing but ball breaking, cursing, betting, and loud music and heavy weights. Not to sound cheesy, but that's... Were you able just to integrate straight away or did you take a while to figure out how the group, group dynamic worked and how Louie worked? No, like you pretty much knew your role. Like you were a guest. You had to be invited. Um, There was plenty of people that would come down and train and Lou, you said, get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, don't come back. (laughs) So, but you know your role, Jabroni. You got to earn your keep. You got to be able to keep up with the the crew. crew. So Mm -hmm. within that crew, was there any members that you trained with all the time? Mostly uh, Blankenship okay. um, when I first started out because he was the 198 or mm-hmm. the smaller one. And then I would start training with Lou, too, and best training partner you ever had. Yeah. All of them were the best. Like, you didn't have phones to, oh, let me see how I squat and all that. You relied on your training partners. You said, you got to sit back more. You got to flare your knees more, you know. You're bringing the bar too high, you know. What was that like? Like, with a... Uh training with Lou was it, how was he good as a training partner was it was he a coach first or training partner first or was it all mixed into one mixed into one I mean but we would constantly try to go back and forth and kill each other yeah like oh put a quarter on well I'm putting a plate on old man like so oh fuck that if you're gonna put a plate then I'll put a plate and on and a quarter yeah so and there was no like oh put a 10 on or anything it was quarters and and plates where and when did the name Chicken Hawk come from? 
because you're one of the few people in uh, Westside folklore that Louis has a bunch of chicken hawk stories that are initially you think these are all false and then more and more come out of the closet. You're like, oh, this has to be true. Um, well, I'm, I was the smallest one. Like when I first started lifting there, I was 198. And I was the smallest one. And, you know, and up with the guys up at Black's, I'd write everything down. Like I'd write my PRs down, write movements down that I new movements or something that I felt worked <laughs> in my training, something that didn't work. I'd write everything down. And do you remember that little... Looney Tunes cartoon, that little yeah. foghorn leghorn, that little egghead guy. <laughs> and then one time I said, we were lifting, I said, fuck all you, I'm going to go eat me some chickens. <laughs> like from, And that's, they said, oh, the little chicken hawk from Looney, Looney Tunes, Tunes. And that's how it happened. So now you're, your alter ego's chicken hawk in the gym. <laughs> how, um, when you're surveying or like looking at everyone's roles, can you just talk about what everyone brought to the gym and why that because that's a very strong group of people and how everyone's role um affected how the gym trained well when you'd walk into the the door and this is the old club and demarest demarest you know it was a very small room blacked out there was no sign on the door there's an address we were next to there was a pizza shop next to us and a corner store okay and we were next to Section 8 housing. So it was no big deal if you'd see like drug deals going on yeah. around the corner and shootings from the next, the previous night or something like that. But when you walked in the door, it's like you flip that switch and you bring your A game. You know, on the way down, I'd had a long ride and I'd picture my squats through my head, my benches through my head. And when you walk through that door, it's like time to go to war. Yeah. Because every member, whether they realized it or not, had a role, and that was to get stronger and get your training partners stronger. And the way we did it probably wasn't the most orthodox or ethical yeah. ways sometimes, but it worked. Who were some of the biggest characters in the gym? Or were, was everyone their own? Everyone was their own. Like you had Dave Tate's alter ego, Zippy, yeah. that would come out. Louie, he was a character. Yeah. Um, Joe McCoy was the best shit talker ever. Rob Fuzner was quiet. Oh, and there was John Chester Stafford. Um, but kind of quiet. Stafford was kind of quiet. Yeah. But strong as fuck. And you'd want to keep up with him. I mean. What are some of the most impressive things you saw within the gym? Chuck squatting was always impressive. A lot of deadlifting that was, and we didn't have the radical gear that they have now, mm -hmm. like the bench shirts now that are just. Ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't have squat suits. I think there was, I saw maybe one or two denim suits in, in a meet, Yeah. but none in training. You know, we'd, when we squatted, we, it was an old France suit with, with straps down and the amount of weight that was being moved was impressive. What made uh, Chuck so impressive to watch squatting? His attitude, number one. Like, he feared no weight. 
a lot of people didn't fear any weight. You couldn't yeah. be scared. Um, you had to believe in yourself. But the form and technique was impeccable. I mean, look at it when his meat in his meats. How he squatted in his meat is how he squatted in the club. Mm-hmm. You know, perfect technique, perfect form. Who was his training group? He trained with us, Rob Fuzner, um, Chester, and Mike Ruggieria. That's a, that's a strong, yeah. strong I mean, group that of was people. Like close to a thousand pound squats, squatters right there. Uh, what sort and of hell of a deadlifter too? All great deadlifts too. Well, there's that. Uh, we have that one of Chuck Rack deadlifting over a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, Without straps yeah. too. Mm-hmm. What um what was some of the most impressive experiments that you've seen? Because you were part of that group where bands started coming in really. Yeah, we used chains. In. Yeah, and then we started using bands. Dick Herzl gave them the loo and said, yeah. "Hey, experiment with these. See what you can do." And our squats took off from there. We would use weight releasers too mm-hmm. a lot. You don't see that too often, but oh, it was a way where you can overload your your central nervous system, overload yeah. your squat, and then. Um, they use that, the yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the bands with the accommodating resistance were probably the best way. You're like, oh my goodness! Like when they were uh, first introduced, what was that like? Was there like, from what I gather, is there no one knew the the maximum bounds of them, so just put as many on as you yes, can do. Yes, exactly. And then there was also times when we would loop a band around our belt and around our feet, and like, wow! And then. And then using the bands on on while squatting, while having yep. that loop through your, and you're like, oh, and trying to walk after that was like, holy shit, yeah, like, what the hell did we just do? Was training in the gym more fun than going to the meets, or was it all, or going to the meet was that as fun or more fun than the gym? Squat squat days were always fun because we'd be betting and talking much, shit to each other. How much bets would be? I remember when Dave Tate bet against me one time, and I fucking, I mean, like, there's no fucking way he, I'm losing to him. And banged my head on the bar a couple of times and got it. And I hear one of the most satis- satisfying, ah, fuck, he got it. What, like, <laughs> so, <clears throat> but the meets were always fun. We'd always talk shit. Like, <clears throat> someone in our weight class, would, we'd be going against, and they'd, do their warm-up squats go oh shit that looks pretty heavy i yeah. don't know so. it seemed from uh when lou would talk especially about you um <laughs> most of the stories that came from chicken hawk was in the trip was the um, there was one when you burnt the clutch out of one of his trucks well we weren't driving at that time in all fairness <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't the clutch it was well it was his what was his, his suburban and him and Dave had a meeting at York Barbell, and they were left me in the in the truck, and it was fucking hot. So I turned the the key, thinking, "Oh, I'll sit with the air conditioning on." Yeah. Well, I didn't turn the key enough, and blew the truck up. That now that that story's true, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit, Lou's gonna kill me!" But in true, Lou just said, "God damn chicken hawk," yeah. and we went and got the went to like a. Got the oil changed and, and stuff, and it, we made it home okay. 
Did it was you, a good meet. Do you drive a truck off a ramp too? I may have. I, was that, I think it was that your because there looked like a hill and you went up over it. I've heard that story. I've heard the story of you turning <laughs> off the camera. I've heard of you breaking the Oh, monolith. motherfucker. I did not turn that camera off. That was Lou. He said, Chicken Hawk, you stay away from that camera. I didn't go near that camera. I didn't turn the camera off. That was Lou. What the, was, <laughs> according to him, that they're like 13 or 14 sets in. They come back and they go to edit the video and there's no file there. Um, well, there was one time when they were we were videoing a uh, squat, squat day and he was sending the tape to was alabama's video data probably uh so we were in the background you hear my voice come on motherfucker you (laughs) fucking cocksucker and then we'd be throwing 20s on the box seeing if they'd get it and then we took took it back to lou's house to to watch it he's like there's no way in hell i can send this (laughs) with everything that's going on so that yeah that happened um is there any trips that are in your memory like oh that was that was fun? They were all fun t- in their own way, but the one time we went down to a bench meet it, to or- Orlando. Oh, yeah. And yeah. George George there's a couple guys from West Side, I think Kenny, George were benching and a hurricane was coming in. And Tony Ramos was already down there. He picks us up at the airport and said, I don't know if this meet's gonna get in because there's like it was just nothing but wind and rain and right in the middle of the bench meet because it was like an orlando city and the police came in and said there's a hurricane coming we're shutting this down it's being used as a hurricane oh shelter uh, shelter and so they said everyone out and then the meet director said can't we just finish up the meet no get out or we're gonna arrest you so we drove back in the rain from Orlando to Columbus with Tony Ramos, his daughter, um, Drex was in it. Who else? Louie. There were some other people too, and I can't remember. And we were following George Helbert and Fred Bolt back. And I may have said, I forgot that Tony <laughs> Ramos's daughter was in the car. And I may have said one or two things that she's probably still getting counseling for <laughs> today. <laughs> The one addition Louis gave, because what people I don't think understand is when you're a part of Westside, people know you by whatever nickname, no mm-hmm. idea who you are and really have no idea about your life a whole lot. They just know you coming in. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> he was like, when you're talking, um, you said that you have a college degree. And he goes, you went to college? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, after I got out of the Marines. He's like, you, you were in the Marines. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, that's when I found out more about Chicken Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> you have a girlfriend? You, you're married? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, that was the funny part about Lou. Like, he didn't care yeah. about your personal life. As long as you can, you contributed to the club, Make getting strong, making progress, getting your elite, getting records. He didn't care what you did. You could be a fucking serial killer. Yeah. But you had to contribute. If you didn't contribute, you're out. But yeah, it was one of the drives out to a meet where I'm here like, well, I remember when I was in college. You were into college? <laughs> like, I'm here like, yeah. And 
well, when did you go to college? Like, after I got in the Marines. You're in the Marines? And then I'm here like, yeah. Well, what what else do you do? He said, do you work or anything? I said, kind of. <laughs> and he's here like, <laughs> so, like, he really didn't care about your personal life. Yeah. Like, he would talk to you about training, and that was it. And then Zulu and I got to know each other yeah. through the years and how was he as a leader? Like, what the stuff that you saw in the gym that he controlled the dynamic and how he motivated people? And was he was he like what we saw in the last what, 10, 12 years, that he would say something to somebody and just wait for it to make its way around the room, and then that would motivate? Yeah, well, that was also one of the good things about Lou. Like, you never had a problem. Because if you had a problem, you'd say to Lou, hey, Lou, I... I, I got a problem. I have this problem with this. Like, don't tell anyone. And you'd be like, oh, no, no, I won't tell anyone. Like, I got this problem with this girl. Oh, no, no, it's okay. It'll work yeah. itself out. And then you wouldn't have that problem anymore because Louie would tell some <laughs> tell someone <laughs> and you'd tell everyone else and everyone else would know about it and they'd bust your balls and you didn't have a problem anymore because you didn't fucking care. <laughs> so whenever you had a problem or anything, just tell Lou. He'll get rid of that problem real quick. Um. <clears throat> but... Um, you know, not to tell war stories, but when I was in the Marines, you know, one of the most people that you respect are the ones that will walk the walk and talk the talk. Like, not your one officer that will just say, oh, go charge the hill. Lou would charge the hill with you. Like, he wouldn't expect you to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Like, yeah. if he says, okay, let's put another blue band on, he'd get under that bar and squat it too, and you just respected that i think when i met him he was when i first met him he was 50 51 no tattoos no tattoos yeah um and he'd get under that bar too right with you and so he'd motivate you that way too like if you're here like hell this fucking old man can do it why can't i yeah and so he would never ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself like in a way we were all an experiment yeah but he would also experiment on himself too did you know before he would introduce exercises or random, what he would seem random events in the gym, hey, let's try this, that for the longest time, I think it was for over 30 years, he had an engineer and a physicist that he would talk to and he'd run everything through them. And then once they fully theorized it, he would bring it into the gym and then he'd show you this random exercise that you think of, he must just came up with this, but everything had a reason. No, I did know that. Like, yeah. he would always talk to, to was he an Ohio State professor There, or there was one, and then there was one was, Joe DeQuilla was the physicist, and then, I can't remember the, I think, wasn't Doug, I can't remember who the engineer's name was. One was a, mm -hmm. I think it was a mechanical engineer, and then the other one was a theoretical physicist. Yeah. And um, that's, uh, so everything that seemed random in the gym, was always fully thought out before it got introduced. Mm -hmm. Like, um, one thing about Lou, there was a method to his madness. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand that. They just said, oh, just throw bands and chains on her and all that. No, no, he would read the old Russian books. I mean, Russians were doing it before us dumb Americans were doing it or br brought it to the forefront. And he would tell me, yeah, I was talking to this f physicist about this movement and mm -hmm. 
an engineer about this or piece of equipment or anything. I remember going out to like Van Horns where you'd get mm -hmm. some of his equipment made and you'd say, hey, let's do this or and that and let's tweak it a little bit here. Yeah. So, yeah, there was always a method to his madness. What do you think are some of the most misunderstood things about Louis? I'll preface this, and it's kind of a hard answer to say. There will never be someone else like him, ever. I The big joke between Louie and I was I always called him the worst father I ever had. Yeah. Like, I lost my dad probably about my first year at Westside. And Louie kind of took over as that father figure. Mm -hmm. He was a father figure for a lot of us. I can't tell you how many times Lou bailed someone out of jail, never asked for the money back. I can't even imagine how much money he spent on all of us dumb fucks for times that he had to bail us out of jail, pay a ticket, um, pay, pay a bar tab or something like yeah. that. Um, so there will never be someone like Lou ever again. Uh, and he was misunderstood but in a good way. Because he didn't care what anyone thought about him. Mm -hmm. That was him. If you didn't like him, fuck off. I don't care. People on the internet don't talk shit. He doesn't care. And that's what made him so so much of a character, mm -hmm. too. Because the only thing that he, he said to me, Chicken Hawk, the only one I got to answer to is me. When I look in the mirror, I got to say, did I do it? Mm -hmm. Did I do it right? That's that's all he cared about, and he that was a big lesson in my life too. Like the only one I got to answer to is myself, my and God. And now that I have family, but yeah. family, you know, don't worry about what other people think about you. Don't worry what other people what they're saying about you behind your back. You do you, and it's one of those great lessons that Lou, whether he meant to teach it or not, taught everyone that. Like he didn't care, and. Getting back to your first part of your question, he <clears throat> was Lou. Mm -hmm. And he didn't care what anyone said. Oh, you don't agree with this training method? Well, I'm proving to you that it works. I don't care mm -hmm. what you think, but this is what works. And it's going to work. And I'll prove it to you. And so he didn't care what anyone thought. Mm -hmm. So he'll be misunderstood for forever. Do you think a part of why he cared so much about everyone was the fact that you guys care so much about Westside Barbo? Because the one, the one aspect, and I tried to talk to many past members as possible, that still is so interesting to me is that no one was ever forced to come to Westside. No one was ever, but there was this obligation that like I can't leave. Mm -hmm. Or family vacation, no, no, I have to come. But none of this was like, no one was there dragging you in. But Louis had that respect to where you felt obligated. Like, I can't let this guy down. I can't let the club down. Yes. Like, so Lou helped me get my elite. And it took me, I'd say at least, I don't think I got my meet until, or my elite until my third meet there. What was the uh, requisite for elite? Um... At 190, it was totaling 1735, which nowadays seems like nothing, but we didn't have, like, jacked-up equipment or, yeah. like, 
ventures that takes a thousand pounds to get down to your yeah. chest or anything. And Lou believed in me. And I think that's why I wasn't kicked out. Yeah. Like he believed in me. He saw potential. <clears throat> and my one meet where I thought I was going to get it and I didn't get it. I felt bad, but not for myself. I was pissed at myself. Yeah. But I felt bad because I felt like I let the club down. Yeah. And and I let Louie down. And I told I said to Louie, I said, I'm sorry that I didn't get, get that Louie. I really thought I was and he said, You fucked up. Now you can either dwell on it or you go to the next meet and you fucking get it. He said, You know you could do it. Mm-hmm. It's all right there. But he, and he believed in people at Westside. Yeah. If he didn't like you or didn't believe in you or, or you weren't contributing, he showed you the door. He said, don't come back. Well, even at, at that, I might be wrong, but it seemed that even people he didn't agree with, but once they contributed to the gym in some way, shape, or form, as you mm-hmm. said, everyone has a role. Yeah. So you couldn't be a bad egg, but you could be there as a negative influence to positively influence the group, and everyone was there but once you contributed to the club uh-huh that was um Lou said that you can call me whatever you want but just don't badmouth the club and the, that was the big thing the, exactly like he said you could say whatever you want about me to me but don't disrespect the club and we as westsiders all knew that too yeah like don't i don't want to say it's like hell's angels yeah but it kind of is don't disrespect the club like there's many times when at meets where someone might have said oh west side this west side Mm-mm. no it's not gonna fly who was your who was the biggest rivals back then was there any rivals was big iron around that was that the big time? iron started coming around and yeah. people i remember someone say to lou like hey what do you think about big iron he said i've seen gyms come and go i don't care if they can lift big weights and make us better yeah great more power to them um what was that connection to blacks like west side and blacks seemed to have a a pretty good connection and one club seemed to outdo the other club when it came to crazy stories too yes well <laughs> when matt got in trouble down in columbus him and bobby co went up to cleveland and trained yeah. at blacks and lived up in cleveland heading out from uh in Col- from columbus and so that was like the camaraderie yeah. between the two clubs. Like, oh, we got a place to train up in Cleveland. Like, yeah. And then in Cleveland, oh, we always got a place to train in, in Columbus. Um, but the guys up at Blacks were, were great guys, you know, old school guys that you're yeah. not going to, that they don't make anymore. Mm-hmm. And Lou and I would talk about this, like, oh, the youth of today. Like, yeah. They're more concerned about what's on social media and they don't fucking train. Yeah. And that's what I try to instill to my boys. Like, oh, should we video this? No, you're fucking going to get under that bar and you're going to lift it. Yeah. You know, don't worry about what other people think. Mm-hmm. So, but the camaraderie between the two clubs was, was well, it, awesome. It seemed to raise the levels. So if blacks did something, you're like, well, we can't let them do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. To... Exactly. But at the same time, as a friend rivalry, like, yeah. hey, when you're at a, a meet, Oh, you need someone to wrap your knees? Hey, someone from, from Blacks and Hoss or someone will 
Yeah. We'll help you out. Whatever you need. So it was a friendly rivalry. Yeah. And for the most part, all the rivalries were friendly. You know, you talk shit and then you go kick ass at the meet. And then afterwards, you go get hammered and high and chase bitches. <laughs> who, who was the, um, who do you think was the best shit talker in the gym in your group? Louie was good. Joe McCoy was probably the best shit talker. Uh, he was a 198er, but he was fucking strong, man. Yeah. He, he was like no fat on him. Strong. I remember one time Eskol, um, he was from Sweden, was squatting. He gets under the, the bar and he goes to lift up the uh, weight and the monolith swings out and he goes, whack it, whack it. I <laughs> lost my confidence. And Joe McCoy said, oh, shit, you should have never said that. And sh so for the longest time, it was like, Esco, be careful driving. You might lose your confidence. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like uh, whack it, whack I still can hear it to this day because he couldn't pronounce ours and he talked in that Swedish, Swedish accent. Um, Chuck was a great shit talker, too. Uh, I've heard. Like, he was quiet, but when it was time to oh, – he was a good one. Um, Dave was good. They were all – we were all – it, it was a very strong group, not just in strength, but just the whole, what came out of that for the next generation was huge. Yeah. Like each generation seemed to have uh, these fund foundational building blocks to where if you look at what was done in the last 12 years, uh, has been ridiculous. Like Hoff got the biggest total in the yes. world. AJ, Jake, all these guys. Yes. But it was came from the foundational that you guys all the different generations laid down but shit talking is the one consistent thing at west side that um the one-liners louis would come out with it was time like a comedian and then you just you just have other people who couldn't shit talk get so frustrated um uh, but i just added that other layer of uh, i think friendship and you just didn't want to go home knowing that fucking someone i was shit talked you outlift you and if they did the next day you come back in with something else exactly and like <laughs> one of louis favorite reminds me why would you want a cor corvette body with a yugo engine <laughs> and then so i'm here like oh i gotta eat to get a bigger squat and like and they go you fat fuck yeah <laughs> like you yeah. said i gotta eat to get a bigger squat I, but i didn't say fucking eat a whole five pizzas you fat fuck <laughs> uh I heard a story, but did you break your arm? I did. In a in a in a, <laughs> in a I did. And they didn't believe you. <laughs> at a, it was at a bench meet. The one um, meet that my wife decides to go to <laughs> was it was outside of Cleveland. I've been chasing this five hundred bench for quite some time. Yeah. And like and back in the five hundred bench at ninety eight was was big back then. Yeah. Or an accomplishment. Who was the world record holder back then? Do you remember? Oh, he was from Louisiana. Um, Jesse Kellum. Okay. Was oh, wow. one yeah. of them. he was big. He was a. All three of his lists yeah. were phenomenal. He was a good dude. Anyways, um, yeah, the one meet that my wife decides to go to, I take five hundred out, and so I come down with it. I'm coming it up. All of a sudden, crack. My left arm fucking breaks. I'm motherfucker. And of course, you know, the awesome spotters had landed on my neck. Yeah. 
and my wife is here like, ah. <laughs> and then so I, uh, Lou saying, all right, let's get him going. Let's get this meat going. Like, <laughs> I'm like, motherfucker, I just broke my arm. Give me a moment. He goes, shut the fuck up, fat ass. I want to get out of here. I need to get back. Like, Louie didn't like leaving area code 614. Like, he didn't like, so I want to go. Like, and then so I unwrap my arm and um, D- uh, Doug Heath was there. Okay. And he said, oh, cut the shirt off. I said, don't fucking cut this shirt. I, he said, chicken hawk, your arm is pointing at ni- 90 degrees. <laughs> You're like, all right, cut the shirt. And then so I cut the shirt and, uh, you know, next thing you know, I'm getting 14 screws, two plates and dislocated my wrist. But And I still didn't get that 500 bench. So I was <laughs> fucking pissed. So fucking rehab the arm, come back. I'm not taking 500 again because yeah. I'm not letting that fucking weight beat me. Yeah. So I'm going to take 505, 510. And meet again. And Gritter was at the meet. I fucking come down, boom, blast it up. And I got like two reds. I'm here like, motherfucker, I'm fighting. I'm kicking someone's ass. Who the fuck threw that red? I was pissed. <laughs> and Gritter's like, chicken hawk, will you shut up? <laughs> he hit the wrong switch. And then the one judge said, well, I'm not reversing it now. <laughs> we're like, oh, you fucking cocksucker. <laughs> So still didn't get that 500 bench. So finally, I, I said to lose. I'm here like, you know, it's like that that goal that's so close yet so far away. Yeah. He's like, you know what? <clears throat> Just go to this next meet. Weigh what you weigh. Don't bother cutting weight yeah. or anything like that. So I was working at the time. I was working for UPS. I was loading up the airplanes at the airport. Worked the night before on Friday. Went down to, I think it was Mike Maxwell was putting it on. And weighed in at like 210, 212, something like that. Took 505. Pow, got it. Then I took 530. Pow. Then I got five, went to 550. Easier than the first one. And Lou said, see, motherfucker, I told you. (laughs) And it was... Just when you realize, don't dwell on shit. Like, Lou knew I could do it. I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. But don't, all these people, they had their routines through their meets and all that. Stop thinking about it. Just go out on the platform, have fucking fun, and get, don't, get a, a PR, and don't get fucking hurt. What were some of the most fun meets you've done that you can remember? Um, that one was fun when you accomplish a goal. Yep. Um, when I got my favorite meet was down in Cincinnati. Lou had a squat of nine thirty, and my squat was on point that at that meet. I was just, you know, like when you feel when you feel that you're on mm-hmm. that day, I'm on. So, Gritter was help was helping wrap my knees and all that, you know. I finally got that 900 squat under me, and then and that was on my second attempt. And then he said, what do you want to take next? I said, fucking 935 to beat that old fucking man. <laughs> and Lou said, all right, then fucking do it. And it was like the easiest squat I ever had in my life. And Lou said, not around anyone, of course. He said, chicken up, proud of you. Good job. That was good yeah. fucking squat. And he never said he was proud of anyone. anyone. Yeah. So at least he never let people hear it. Yeah, yeah. 
So that was like my my favorite my favorite meet of all time because I really don't care what I can bench anymore. Yeah. What can someone squat and deadlift? That's how you know if you're strong. Did um did you handle anyone? I mean, did you guys oh. half and half like half a do half a handle and switch around all the time? Who did you handle? Um, who was most people you handled? Uh, well, I would be in charge of uh, holding Chuck's stra- jock strap, I guess. You know, I'd wrap <laughs> his knees, make sure everything, his yeah. suit was okay. And What was that like, that. wrapping Chuck's knees? Was there any? Well, I didn't, I didn't wrap his knees. He wouldn't, he would have uh, Bob Coe wrap his knees or Matt Smith or someone like that. Um, but I would just make sure that when I'd rewrap his his knee wraps, they yeah. were good. Uh, <clears throat> you know, like when nowadays when you someone's cheering on their favorite football team or something yeah. like, and you're like yeah that's right like when someone scores you didn't score the touchdown yeah but you're still happy for your team yeah you know who you're cheering on like when chuck got that squad at the wpo and that deadlift you're like yeah motherfucker because you know that's your training partner yeah. that's and in a sense that when you're training with them you help push them mm-hmm and you're so happy for them that they got it and everything. But Chuck was just in his zone at a meet. I'd rep uh, Blanket Chip's knees, Gritter's knees, if he had knees. Yeah. And that, but um, helping out at a meet is probably worse than actually doing the meet. It's uh, tiring as hell. Your forearms cramp up and all that. So. Well, especially too when you have to see where people are, if they're up on deck, mm-hmm. if they're in the hole, and then. Well, that was a good thing about Lou. That guy knew numbers. It's like he was oh. a fucking savant. Mm-hmm. I said, "What are you on the spectrum?" Yeah. Like he would know. <coughs> sorry, he would know numbers. Like, hey Lou, what was my PR from two years ago with this bar? And he would know. Mm-hmm. It's like, how the fuck do you remember that old man? So, uh, it, <coughs> when you're at a meet, Lou would say, "You just adjust his shirt and wrap his knees." Oh, and then. Okay, this is like I remember what Panora had to do for squat. He, when I was wrapping his niece, he said, "Don't worry about the numbers. I'll call the numbers. You just wrap them." It, so, a lot of people. I got to see a little bit of it. The I think the first big meet that I got a witness here was when uh, Donnie told three thousand. I think Mike Ferguson put on a big meet in Cincinnati. I think yeah. that was it. Mm-hmm. But the strategy Louis would do after he'd call your squat or mm-hmm. call anything, he was straight over to the table. Give uh-huh. the numbers, and he would know your numbers before you even knew yes. it. And whether you like it or not, you're doing those numbers. Mm-hmm. And there is times when, let's say, oh, I want to squat 800. Mm-hmm. Lou would go over the table or gritter or something. They'd say, okay, I told him 800. Yeah. But meanwhile, it was like 805 or 810 or something like that, something where they know you'd be in the running to win or something yeah. like that. So, And then there was a lot of strategy at some of these bigger meets too. Like we'd put in a number – other one would uh, competitor would put their number in after it, and then we'd go back to the table and say, "Yeah, we're gonna jump that." Yeah. <laughs> so we'll go up by another ten. Did uh did you party any nights before meets, or did you take it serious? Because I know there's 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 some member <laughs> mem- members that we'll have on later that um, did some of their <laughs> biggest lifts while coming off a night of partying. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't. I'm not that much of a partier. Mm-hmm. Um, like Lou and I, before me, Lou and I would go to dinner or something and then hang out, talk to some friends and yeah. go to bed. Um, I remember one night, uh, 
was it? It was when Dower Bill Will, Will Ramsey was lifting and J&L went out and fucking got hammered <laughs> the night before his meet. And so helping was helping with a hangover was even worse. Yeah. But um, no, I wasn't that much of a partier now. There are some guys from Blacks and stuff and the old school Westside guys. Now they they knew how to party. Right. Were you around the days of paper mache? I like, was. Yeah. Uh, he, was at, he was the night crew. <laughs> any, any stories yeah. about him? <laughs> Or how, how how he got the name paper? Because he was like he was built like paper mache. He'd fucking rip in half. <laughs> no, one time uh, he had a weigh in. Um, he weighed, I think it was two, was it two twenty two forty two, and then so he weighed in. He's up back in his hotel room eating fucking Twinkies or whatever shit it was. And Louis says, like, hey, chicken hawk, pretend they call this call this room number, and then so I call and he goes, oh. Oh, really? Oh, no. Okay. I'll send them right back down. Paper mache, they said that your, their scale was broke. They didn't get your weight. So he's like, what? And he's like, got a mouthful of food. So he wouldn't make weight. So like, we'd fuck with him like that. He was a good dude, too. And Bob, Bob Young's was a good dude. Yeah. He was real good. He uh, was a good shit talker, too. But he was at Night Crew. Night Crew. Mm -hmm. um, All these people with legit jobs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tom Waddle was telling me that... Um, we knew about the morning, we knew about the night crew, but for a period of time, there was a little afternoon crew who came in, in between, who wanted to stay out of the, the realm of Louie, and stay out <laughs> yeah, of the realm yeah. of Gritter, for they just come in. <laughs> well, Gritter and Bob Coe ran that night crew, yeah. and then one time Chuck had to, for work, had to train at night, and then so, Chuck would put on some gangster rap shit and all that, and fucking Gritter would come in and say, turn that fucking shit off. You know, Gritter's old school ACDC and all that. Yeah. And Chuck would say, whoever fucking gets here first controls the <clears throat> the radio. And sure enough, Gritter would drive in from Dayton, and he said, and Night Crew would get there like at four o'clock. Yeah. Like the evening crew. And Gritter said, I'm not fucking letting Chuck get that radio. He said, I'm going to get there at 3.30 and make sure that I, I get. Sure enough, he pulls into the parking lot, and there's Chuck's car because Chuck knew exactly what Greta was going to do. He said, we'll listen to this. Um, any other stories you'd like to share? Any other things that you think people would like to know about the gym, about your cruise, or about Lou? Because it's, it's uh, hard to give any structure to these things because we're trying to get out as much stories and everything's still pretty fresh. Yeah, but. As, as time goes on, some yeah. stories, like some stories I don't even know if I can tell. <laughs> still, like... You know, time I was arrested and all that shit. Yeah. Uh, Lou, Lou liked that story. He was, my sister <laughs> sang like a canary. <laughs> and then he, did, he loved that story. <laughs> and then, like, the gorilla breaking into my house. Oh, <laughs> uh, can, can you tell that? That story is pretty funny. Um, well, <laughs> it was around Halloween time back in, I don't know, 2002 or so, maybe. Yeah. I'm upstairs as a performer kids. I'm upstairs with my wife, and I had three dogs. I had uh, Jackson, a basset hound. Uh, my mom never let me have a dog growing up, so I got this basset hound because he was short, fat, and cute and lazy <laughs> like me. And then I had uh, Samson, my bull mastiff that I bought for my wife, and then I had Daisy, the pit bull that uh, Chuck gave me that was Louie's dog Jackie's half-sister. And... We're upstairs sleeping, and this is like four in the morning or so. And I hear the sliding door of my house open. 
And I'm like, what the fuck? I look in the bed and like all the dogs are still there. And I'm like, Karen, I think someone just broke into our house. She goes, what? Now go back to bed. And so I'm here like, no, someone's fucking in. And of course, all the dogs are sleeping in the bed. So I go downstairs to check out. And there's this guy dressed all in black sitting at my kitchen table. I said, who the fuck are you? And he gets up and I just fucking blasted him. I popped him. And he's on the ground and I'm just going to town on him. And the dogs finally get up. Great guard dogs that they are. The bass hound's still sleeping in the bed. Daisy the pit bull uh, is at the top of the steps protecting my wife, like barking her head yeah. up. Samson the bull massive is in this guy's face about to tear it off. And my mom, or my mom, whoops, Freudian slip. My <laughs> wife calls the police. The police come. This guy's down in the on the ground. And police come. And I'm I'm just trying to look for this guy's elbow joint, too, to put some paint on it. And I can't. It's like, because the lights were off, I couldn't, like, see anything. I But I could feel it. Turns out, so the police come in. They finally turn all the lights on and... It's this guy dressed in a gorilla suit. He was so drunk and high from a Halloween party, he walked into the wrong house. <laughs> so, so, in fact, this happened like on a Thursday. The next day was a Friday or something. I said, all right, Louie, I got it. It was at breakfast. I said, oh, you got to listen to this story. And he's like, no fucking I said, yeah, it's all true. Well, Brent Tracy was there. He's like, no fucking way. Yeah, and then sure enough, the guy still couldn't see right out of his right eye. Did I make the news? Didn't it I- didn't make the news. Yeah. Kina interview me. It was a hot Asian girl. I'm like, oh, I got something you can interview, baby. <laughs> me love you short time. Oh, Jesus, chicken but, but, <laughs> but one thing you got to say about, there will never be. He's an enigma. I mean, he was the worst father and the best father I ever had. He, the one thing I can... Louis was whoever he needed to be to that person. Yes. So if you needed an asshole, he would have been an ass because he knew, like he had a unique talent of knowing what you needed before you did. Mm-hmm. And a hard thing for people to understand is if you're a powerlifter here, and there's all there's other athletes, but been a powerlifter, that's a whole different level here. Mm-hmm. And he sees your potential before you realize it. And no matter what you get, there's something next. So if you mm-hmm. squat 900, okay, 915, 950, 1,000. Mm-hmm. And he has that way paved out for you. Yeah. And he does everything he can for you to stay that course. But um, he can't do it. And he was... Another thing with Lou is that Lou had a Doris. And for, for Lou to be able to do what he did, he had a whole support system. He had his whole universe. That it was his house, the gym, TJ's or Bob Evans. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a crossover. Yeah. And it was that triangle. That's all. And once mm-hmm. you came in here, you were in his world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he led the example of if you truly think that you're dedicated or a samurai to your art, then he just took it to another level that you, no one would ever be able to achieve. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Yeah, that's why I call Doris St. Doris, because she was a saint for putting up with his, <laughs> yeah. his ass. And, you know, I'd say, old man, don't you have to get back to the old age home to, to get <laughs> bingo started or, or something? So Lou and I would talk shit to each other all the time. Yeah. And... uh yeah, I'm going to miss that fucker. Yeah, we missed dearly. And yeah. the, the, the shit talk is the big thing. Yeah, I mean, he would even shit talk with my boys, too. <laughs> so for those that don't know, I have uh, twin boys. They're 15 now, but I used to bring them into the club when they were in their car seats. And they would call Louie Grandpa Louie. 
Well, I remember when he got one of them to um, the Three Stooges to go up to you, and they, 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 he goes, "Hey, hey, come here, come here!" And he whispered one of your boys' ears, and they go up to you and go straight into your eyes, yes. and, then, and then pull back. The Louis fell back laughing. That was yeah. the funniest shit ever. Yeah. Well, we look because we're old school. We like the old school <laughs> yeah. Three Stooges, you know. Uh, and my boys would watch that, and they'd uh, go up to Louis. But he, wise guy eh yeah. uh, so. well, chicken hawk I appreciate you coming in and hopefully even get you back in for more stories as time goes on alright Tom thanks for Thank having you. me and thanks for all you that you guys do for the club too yeah, appreciate it, it. it means a lot not only to me but to all, all of us we appreciate so. it thank you all right. thanks <laughs>